place it comfortably. Good morning, everyone. The title of this talk today is Silence, Thinking and Right Speech. Um, I've toyed around with, over the years with the, the right words to use around right speech, sometimes thinking that maybe it would be better spoken of as wise speech or skillful speech, um, because the word right might convey a right as with a capital R compared to a, a wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but I come back to right speech, it seems to have the, a good ring to it. I think we understand it, not the right of right and wrong, but rather right as in upright, um, having integrity, which is very central to, um, to our practice, not just sitting. But I want to look at it within the context of um, thinking, um, how speech is a reflection of how we think and how we can also go a little deeper than just the, the level of thinking in the way that we live our life. But first of all, just to reflect on it, we spend a lot of our time as human beings speaking, you know, a considerable amount, you know, or in conversation and, um, uh, and in writing, um, and particularly with social media, um, it's much sort of wider context within which we can do it, but we spend a lot of time um, talking, so we all need to reflect on how we talk, and um, if we're not talking, then we're usually thinking. <laughs> we spend a lot of time thinking. Um, and then we come along to a day like this where we try to experience silence and stillness and focus and being present and not um, being preoccupied with thinking. So there's a, the silent element of it as well, which we could all probably do with a little bit more of. But to begin with, um, in um, Thich Nhat Hanh's book, The Heart of the Buddhist Teaching, um, there's some lovely words here on the introduction to his chapter on right speech, which in a sense is a, a vow um, for right speech. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I am committed to cultivating loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I am determined to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy and hope. I will not spread news that I do not know to be certain and will not criticise or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or the community to break. I am determined to make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. That's a, that's a, a good vow, I believe. Um, something for all of us to personalise in our own way. Um, to go into some of the, some of the detail of the way um, uh, the Dharma is seen in terms of ex examples of 
right speech. Um, to speak the truth, like if something's green, then say that it's green, not purple or red or blue. Right? Just be accurate to, to what is there. Um, not speaking with a forked tongue, um, meaning not saying one thing to one person, saying something different to someone else about the same issue. Um, not being cruel in the way that we speak and not exaggerating. And exaggeration can take the form of exaggerating things to be better than what they are or worse than what they are, but not distorting things through exaggeration. And um, some years ago, um, I put a little acronym together um, based on some of these principles um, so people could remember it as a guide for right speech in everyday life. And the feedback I got from a number of people, a few people reminded me of it again um, lately that, that they found it useful, so I'm going to repeat it again. But it's simply the word T, doesn't make any sense, just a way of remembering. The letter T and bank, T-bank. And what T-bank refers to, before we speak, like in particularly in a situation where it's um, uh, controversial or conflictual, uh, where we need to be mindful, um, T is at timely. Is this the right time to actually be raising issue and issue and talking about it? Um, B is it beneficial? A is it accurate? N is it necessary? And K is it kind? And if we can tick all the boxes, then we we can speak. Uh, if it doesn't tick all the boxes, then maybe we need to reflect on what we do or how we say things. Now, I'm not suggesting that we do this every time we open our mouths. Um, but we know when we're in situations that are sensitive or conflictual or whatever, and we need to be particularly mindful about what we say before we say it or say nothing. Um, I was reflecting on this too, on this topic, um, that if if there was magically such a thing as right speech throughout the world, I'd be out of a job. <laughs> huh? really? uh -huh. Imagine if couples and families, you know, and cultivated right speech and listening. I'd, I'd become a gardener or something. <laughs> I wouldn't get by. Um, so um, it's 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 very important that everyone can try and put me out of a job, right? <laughs> You know, like, like uh, dentists, you know, if we all didn't eat sugar and, you know, crap food and so on, you know, we could put dentists out of business too. Um, but uh, I don't think I'm at risk of um, <laughs> going bankrupt shortly. Um, but when I reflect on the work that I do, like particularly in couple family therapy, but also working with people individually, um, in many ways it's um, that the nuts and bolts of it, particularly in couple therapy and family therapy or mediation, is really a lot. It's about this um, Buddhist teaching of right speech. You know how to how to speak well, how to listen, how to listen deeply. And um, I found reading uh, over Thich Nhat Hanh's chapter on this, and he makes reference to psychotherapists quite a lot during it and the work that we do of how much this resonates with the work that I do. So for instance, um, uh, 
One of the things that I encourage couples to do a lot when they come in in conflict, and usually when couples are not getting on, um, well, because they live with one another, they know the faults of one another very, very well from living with them for five, 10 or 20 years um, and have an insight into it. But what I emphasise to people is, okay, they, everyone's got their faults, but how much do you actually ruminate on your partner's faults? You know, how much do you go over and over it in your mind and think about it all the time? And then when you actually meet up with them, you, you, you're, so, you're so caught in your thoughts that that's what you see and you project it onto the other person. So if you think the other person's mean or whatever and they actually smile at you when you grit and they don't, you don't actually see that, you've just built up this sort of picture in your mind and then you project it onto the other person. And then as they see that, they react back and then you've got an argument, you know, or some kind of disconnect occurring. So uh, the way that we think has got a lot to do with the way that we speak. And I have to encourage people to actually notice that they're ruminating, not to get into whether their thoughts are true or not true, but it's the repetition of critical thoughts over and over again create, a, create in our thinking an atmosphere which then comes out in the way that we speak. And that's a mindfulness exercise to be aware of what we're ruminating over. Um, another simple method that works well with people with a bright speech and it was an intervention that was developed to deal with domestic violence. Um, but it could be used for, for any couple or any friendship or family or organisation where it's becoming fairly conflictual. And it's simply called time out. And, and time out is where people are realising that something's escalating and becoming more emotional. And we know when people reach a certain level of emotionality, the rational parts of their brain don't work too well. Right? And they get flooded and then we end up saying things or doing things that we regret. And so one of the most sensible things to do, which really fits in with Thich Nhat Hanh's teaching, um, is time out where you go, okay, this is escalating. This is not the time to talk. We need to actually move away from proving who's right or whatever, who's wrong. And we need to use that time to mindfully calm down and soothe ourselves so that we're in a calmer, clearer place. And then we come back and deal with it again. Which is not the same as just conflict avoidance where people just say, oh, I'm out of here, you know, I'm not talking to you. And they come back, it's quite different. Um, but where there's, a, where there's an agreed understanding that we're escalating, it's going nowhere, time out. Let's just go away and each reflect and calm down and then come back and deal with the issue in a calmer way. That's a really constructive right speech method of dealing with conflict. Um, what also, some of the simple things that go together with, too with right speech is um, getting out of the habit of interrupting others when they talk, you know, and we all like to talk, we all like to get our opinion across, you know, and it's really how much we do that, how much we never really listen, and how much we interrupt, and we can all, we all get involved in it, including me as a kind of a habit, is, is really an indication of how much we're um, caught in the self-centred dream, really. 
um, it's an unpleasant truth to, to look at, but it's actually true. You know, it's real. It's a real indication. If that's our speaking style, um, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. So the, you know, a satisfying conversation with other people is where there's a flow to it. You know, one person speaks, another person responds. It doesn't have to be rigidly formal, but both people get to speak and both people get to be listened to. That's that's the sign of a of right speech and a fulfilling conversation. And of course, what goes along with um, right speech is the ability to listen and to listen deeply to others. And um, listening deeply to other people is not just listening to what they say, but how they say it. Well, one way of putting it is that don't just listen to the story, listen to the storyteller. Mm-hmm. And if we listen to the storyteller, we're not just listening to the facts of what they're saying or the narrative, uh, we're listening to the emotion that goes with it. And if we're listening with a desire to heal, then we can be listening to the suffering that comes <coughs> through in that speech. Or we may hear the joy or the love that comes through in that speech, you know, and resonate to it. Um, but it's not just listening to facts. Mm-hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh says, relating it to thinking, is that when we speak, we give earphones to others and allow them to hear the audio tape that is playing in our mind. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, so, if we, if we link this together, um, that's true, what he just said, is that right speech is often really a reflection of what the way we speak is really a reflection of how we think. Um, and uh, if we're caught up in critical thoughts, whether they're self-critical or critical of others, or being right, blaming, competitiveness, etc., and that's what we think about, well, that's usually what will come out in the way that we talk. And so one other aspect of Dharma practice is right thinking, again, which is not the philosophically correct way of thinking, but thinking in a way which is harmonious, um, compassionate and and wise. Now that's all very fine, but there's another level below that in a sense. And it's what we touch on when we come to a day like this where we don't do so much talking with one another, we do a bit afterwards, but um, we're sitting in silence together. And reflect on it. It's not something that people do that often. Come along to a group and just sit in silence. Usually people come along and they're, they're talking to one another. But when we sit in silence, and we sit in silence for a sustained period of time, something magically starts to transform. And we see thinking for what it is. We're not just being mindful of it, of what the content is that goes through our mind and how repetitious it is and how boring it is. Uh, but we also um, start to see that there's, we start to touch base with emptiness. We, we t- start to touch base with 
the experience of life which is non-conceptual, um, where we're not projecting words and values and so on into everything around us. It's just suchness, just things as they are. Um, for those of you who weren't here on Tuesday, I gave another talk on one of Thich Nhat Hanh's Buddhist teaching about the three doors of liberation. The three doors of liberation are emptiness, signlessness and aimlessness. So emptiness is just the suchness of things as they are, where everything is just interconnected and there's no self, or no separate self. Um, signlessness is where there's no conceptual projection onto life. Do you know, a rose is just a rose, right? The plant's just a plant. And aimlessness is where everything is just fine the way it is. A plant is just a plant. A plant does have to become a better plant, or the best plant, the right plant. It does have to be a plant. And that's what we, that's what transforms, that's what cultivates from doing a day of this, from doing half a day of this, from doing a lifetime of this practice. We get below the chattering mind, the talking mind, the thinking mind, and we, we dwell in the silence, which is there a bit more. Then we can come forth speaking from that place. And once we've really touched that place of signlessness, emptiness, aimlessness, and we can dwell in there, there's a sense of just being, which is the baseline that we start from, then, um, then what emerges is more of a kind of a spontaneous joy and love and compassion in our life. Not something that we have to try and do to be a good person, it's just what emerges out of our being, you know, when we get below that thinking, chattering level. And so the more we do with the practice, there's two things going on. Um, one is we touch base with that empty, empty level. Um, we can somehow trust more that our spontaneous speech is okay. We don't have to be editing all the time. Um, and yet there's also a time for editing. Um, I, I don't know how long I've been practicing for, maybe 45 years or whatever. I still have to edit at times. A lot of the times it's just a, it's a sense of connection or harmony and I don't have to really think about editing what I say. Um, but there are times when I do. And I think often when people think that they're enlightened, they just anything they do spontaneously is fine, uh, we get a lot of problems, particularly with teachers who think that way. And uh, while, while it's a value in spontaneous thought and action, um, there is always still for a human being having the humility of needing to stop and edit um, what you say before you actually say it. And those things can work in harmony. Car has an accelerator and a brake. We can have an accelerator and a brake. Um, but both of those the, both of those aspects of spontaneity and the stopping and reflecting on what we're thinking or saying is wholesome or not, um, probably, I think, continue right, right through our practice, really. So right thinking um, is a very central 
um, plank in the floor of our teaching. And uh, because, like I said in the beginning, we're engaged in speaking and listening and conversation so much in our life, um, it's very important that we, uh, we, we embrace this teaching. And as we all know, you, there's, a, there's, a very, there's a vast difference in um, going into a group or an organisation um, or meeting with people uh, where there's um, the opposite of right speech. And you can pick it up and it's, you know, the environment is toxic where there's gossiping and so on. And you go into other environments, they're not necessarily Buddhist environments, they can be any environment where people just seem to have a, a culture of right speech even though they wouldn't use that term to use it. And it's, you can feel the harmony of it. I'm fortunate enough that in the, um, the Irish music session that I go to, I've, I've reflected over the years of being there that it's based on right speech. You know, you go there, no one ever says a bad word about anyone else or gossips or whatever. Everyone's just there for the fun of the music. And um, it's a wonderful atmosphere to be in. And by and large, we cultivate that here. You know, people are mindful of um, what they say and so on, and it creates a, a sangha of harmonious relations for everyone to work with it. So, Thank you.